All of us have questions and we're all looking for answers. We have questions about what it means to be a Christian, what the Bible is all about, and how to make sense of it in the way we live our lives. In November, I compiled questions from all of you, the congregation, questions you've always wanted to have answered in church. And from those questions, I created this series, the series we start today, in which I will attempt to answer some of your most pressing questions. And today, we start with this. If Jesus was dunked, why do we only sprinkle? If Jesus was dunked, why do we only sprinkle? Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. The first baptism I ever performed was for two brothers, two toddlers. Their names are Abe and Archer. It's the first baptism I ever got to do, and when it happened in worship, I invited their parents to come join me up at the front by the font, kind of like we have here. And the boys had never been that far in the sanctuary before, and their eyes were wide. There was stained glass windows. There was fire. There was water. But more than anything, they just wanted to get out of their parents' arms and run everywhere they could, screaming. Because they were wiggling around and kicking their parents the whole time. And I'd never done a baptism before, and without really thinking about it, I took the water out of the bowl, and I let it start to fall. And then I took the water, and I started to let it fall on their fingertips. And I let them move the water through their hands, so they could feel what was about to happen. And almost as if it were magic, they calmed down. They stopped screaming, they stopped kicking, and they focused on the water in their fingers. And I said the words that countless Christians have heard before their own baptisms. I prayed for God's Spirit to be present in the water as it has been present again and again. And I motioned for the first boy. I took the water and I baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I passed him off to his mother and then I took the other brother from his father and I took water and I baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then I took both boys in both of my arms. And I walked down into the middle of the sanctuary, the center aisle, and pretended as if no one else was there. And I whispered to the two boys, you are now God's children. It was beautiful. It was holy. It was powerful. It is something I will cherish till the end of my days. It's the first baptism I ever got to do. The last baptism I did could not have been more different. It was with a couple, and they had two boys. They wanted me to baptize, just like the first time. Uh, one of the parents was another United Methodist pastor, and she wanted me to baptize her sons. But instead of gathering with the church in a church, the church decided, as the old hymn goes, to gather by the river. And by river, I mean creek. And by creek, I specifically mean Whiskey Creek in Stanton, Virginia. It's an ominous name, Creek, for a baptism. <laughs> So we had gathered, this whole church and I and this family and their boys were outside by the creek, and it was so cold outside. It wasn't as cold as it is today, but it was pretty cold out. So cold that I was wearing a sweater and a jacket and waders, because I knew I had to get in the creek. But those two boys, they were wearing little bathing suits and a little white acolyte robe, and they were shivering before we even got in the water. 
And so I drew them close to me, and I said the same words that countless Christians have heard time and time again before their own baptisms. I prayed for the Holy Spirit to be present in the water to help transform their lives. And I went to the youngest son, to Charlie. I picked him up in my arms, and I carried him out into the middle of the creek, in the deepest part of the creek, which wasn't really that deep to begin with. And the further we got out of the creek, the tighter his thighs squeezed my ribcage. <laughs> and I kept whispering, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, knowing it wasn't going to be okay. It wasn't going to be okay. And his mother met me out in the river, and she and I grabbed him by the shoulders, and we said, Charlie, we baptize you in the name of the Father! And we dumped him all the way under and pulled him back out. He said, Pastor Dale, I don't do it again. I said, in the name of the Son! I said, please stop! I said, in the name of the Holy Spirit! And I pulled him up, and he punched me. <laughs> and I should have been more invested in the holiness of the moment. I should, have, I should have cherished this profoundly powerful time I had with this boy. But all I could think about the whole time was, I'm going to bring him back to the shore. His brother is going to see what I did, and he's going to run for his life. <laughs> so the whole time I was carrying Charlie, I was looking at Jet, making eye contact. Yeah, we're going to do it. Gonna so I deposited the one shivering wet boy to grab the other dry boy. And he squeezed me in my rib cage even harder as we went out into the middle of the river. His mother and I grabbed him by the shoulders and went baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he came out of the water. He said, Pastor Taylor, I don't ever want to do that again. And I said, Brother, you don't ever have to do it again. Baptism. <coughs> Baptism. And we have this question. If Jesus was dunked, why do we only sprinkle? It's an interesting question. I mean, I was so thrilled when I saw that come in. And more than one person asked. I had a lot of people say, if Jesus was dunked, why do we only sprinkle? It's such an interesting question. And it has vexed Christians since nearly the beginning. Because what Michael read for us, Jesus' baptism, it says that as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens were ripped apart and he heard the voice of the Lord. He was coming up out of the water. Presumably, he had been completely immersed under the water from head to toe. Yet in many churches today, when we baptize, we might just pour water on someone's head or cup it with our hands or maybe even just sprinkle it with our fingertips. Answering this question, about why we baptize the way we do, it's the reason there is no one church. After worship today, I, I encourage you, just drive around Woodbridge for like 10 minutes. You will see every flavor of church there is. And the reason there is no one church is because we are unable to answer this question together. Some churches believe you can only baptize adults who have made the choice for themselves. And you have to do it with living water. You can't do it in a church. You can't even have a big font or a pool. You've got to go to living water. You've got to go to a creek or a river or a lake or an ocean. Others say that you can take an adult in a church, baptize them with a little bit of water, or fully immerse them in a pool. Some churches believe that you can baptize babies so long as you have their parents' consent. And then you can do it in any way you can imagine. You can use a seashell to pour it on their head. You can use a spoon if you want, or even a coffee mug. How we baptize. It's a question that has vexed Christians from the very beginning. And still yet, in some churches, they believe that using water 
that it's unfaithful, that you have to baptize with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. So they don't use any object. They don't use water. They just use the power of prayer. And because there is no single answer to the question, it is why there are almost more denominations than there are Christians. So do you want to know a secret? It doesn't matter how much water you use. Bring a kid to a creek or a baby to the font or drag an adult to the pool. Baptism isn't about what we do. It's about what God does to us. It's a sacrament. It means it's an outward visible sign of an inward invisible grace. It is the way that we tangibly feel and experience something in this life about what is beyond our lives. It is good for us to do it in a real way with real water no matter the amount because the gospel is always about things that take place in the real, the tactile, the fleshy world. Whenever the Spirit is mentioned in the New Testament, it is combined with real things, real water, real bread, real wine, real flames. The Spirit is not something that we just keep in our heads or we keep in our hearts. The Spirit is something physical, something that we experience with our bodies. That's why this story from Mark's Gospel, it's great. It has all these physical details. They're out in the wilderness. John the Baptist is wearing camel hair. He has a leather belt. He's got honey and locusts dripping into his beard. He's baptizing people in the water. They see the heavens torn apart. They hear the voice of God. You are my son, the beloved with you. I am well pleased. It's not some philosophical, intellectual debate. It is real. It is profound. It is transformative. But for some reason, Christians have fought battles. They have excommunicated Christians. They have actually killed people over this question. People have died over the question of how much water should be used for baptism. But far more important than any amount of water is the fact that baptism is disruptive. It is transformative. It can be a violent thing that takes place in our lives. When I first baptized those two boys in church on a Sunday morning, it was so picturesque that if you had had a professional camera person there, if you had a photographer there, you could have used it for a Hallmark card. I mean, it was that good. Those perfect little cherubic angelic boys looking at the water dripping in their hands. It was perfect. But the problem with it is that it wasn't like Jesus' baptism. It might bother, bother our modern sensibilities to think about children or even adults kicking and screaming on their way to baptism, but when we consider the truth of what we're doing, that's probably more faithful. In Scripture, it says that immediately following Jesus' baptism, the heavens were ripped and torn apart. The word in Greek is schizomenos. It only appears one other time in the whole of the Bible. It is a violent, transformative, disruptive thing. We might imagine the scene, Jesus is standing waist deep in water, the clouds have opened, sunbeams are shining on him, he's dripping wet from his baptism. But it's not like that. It's probably more like this horrible weather we've had recently. It says the heavens were violently ripped apart. Baptism, whether it's our own or Jesus's, it's a moment of profound transformation. Whenever we baptize someone in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we are, as Paul puts it, baptizing them into Jesus' death. 
so they can be raised into new life with Christ. We are killing one another so that we can be resurrected with the Lord. That's no easy thing, especially when we, in our heads, imagine it as this perfect, picturesque moment. But baptism is the reorientation of all things. Whenever we baptize, whenever we remember our baptisms, it's like the heavens are being ripped apart again and again so that God can meet us where we are. As I said before, I was baptized nearly 30 years ago when I was 19 days old. And I don't remember any of it. I don't know who was there. I don't even know what was said. But I know it made all the difference. It made all the difference because a woman like Judy Drakowski has prayed for me every day of my life. It has made all the difference between, because a group of people who gave their lives to Jesus felt that they should give my life to the Lord so that my life would be about more than me. So I would learn to see how the world can be turned upside down. Baptism doesn't fix anything. It doesn't make your life any easier. It doesn't protect you. It's not some talisman that will save you when you're in the middle of a bad situation. It's not something we can do to protect the people we love. We should also ask ourselves, why do we even do this to the people we love? We're saying, your life is more important than just for you. Whenever we baptize someone, we are saying, you have to give your life to God and to one another. You have to love other people more than you love yourself. Baptism is a strange and a weird thing, and I will continue to baptize babies and toddlers and teenagers and adults again and again because every time I get the chance to do it, every time I'm privileged enough to be there, it's like the heavens are ripped apart again and someone hears for the first time, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. And friends, we are who God says we are. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever.